You're listening to 9394, a music podcast. I'm Travis. How's it going? How you doing today? We're going to be talking about the 1994 Super Chunk album, Foolish. Their first full-length release on their very own record label, Merge Records. Which is pretty cool. It's also pretty cool that I'm talking about it with one of the people in my mind who I most associate this band with and always have. Which is my old friend Morgan Peak. He is the first person to come back onto the show. Pretty excited about that. We had a lot to talk about when it came to this album. So here, check it out. Listen to us talk. Uh, <laughs> can, can you hear me? I can hear the words you're speaking and I can see your face. And that goat is looking boss, son. What the fuck? <laughs> you like that goat, bro? <laughs> Did you have that when I saw you like a month ago? I think so. It seems more intense. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's because it's back here. I don't yeah, know. Maybe I could see you better. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. Thanks. My mom cut my hair and then... uh Nice. And then she dropped me off, and then I spent all day trying to come up with an acoustic version of uh, Zelda. How'd that come out? Uh, it's not going good. I mean, so far, I <laughs> I thought I was, like, going to nail it, because I was like, eh, it's just Zelda. It's like, I know four chords, but it's not. It's, like, interwoven, insane musical stuff. So I'm working on it. You are my Yay! first guest to return. Yay! So that's exciting. Yeah. Woo! asked me to come on and talk about Super Chunk. I did. And it's amazing. The first time I got into them was the group of guys that we usually hung out in high school. So I was right yeah. around, I think it was freshman year of high school. And I think it was like our second or third concert. And I went with a couple of buddies, you know, Courtney, Keith, mm -hmm. Andrew. And I, mm -hmm. it was like very, very close to my first time seeing a live show. And I saw them at the State Theater in Detroit with Belly and Coldwater Flat. And Dude, it was incredible. Why wasn't I why wasn't I at that show? What the fuck? I thought you might have been there. No. I remember I'm pretty sure on the Ticketmaster thing it said ninety-four. And I just knew Foolish and I knew it because Andrew had all the cool indie rock music. I was like, I gotta listen to this. And I think you guys wanted yeah. to start a band and you guys wanted to play the first part. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. It was when you first joined the band that we had, Seuss Matub, yes. it was called, I believe. Yes. And I tried to learn how to play the first part and I couldn't figure it out. And I know the reason I couldn't then, but they were incredible. And they were one of the only bands besides, 
it's funny too because I guess they're both war on merge or one of those labels where they messed up and had to restart one of their songs. Pavement was the other one. <laughs> but they were incredible. Slackers. Yeah, that was one of the defining moments of music for me is seeing them live with Coldwater Flat. And I distinctly remember watching them and having Courtney pass some weed like near the mosh pit area. And I'm like <laughs> thinking to myself, like, would that still fly in 2023? I don't even know. It was a surreal experience to see yeah. uh, like one of what I thought was like the super cool indie rock bands play. Yeah. I still think they are. Yeah, that was a really defining moment of music for me. So did Andrew get you into this album? I can't remember who let me borrow it or if I just bought it, but basically I think Andrew did get me into it. Yeah. I also know that I think I saw the video for first part some way, somehow. But yeah, basically yeah. that group of dudes. I was like, this is it. Like, this is the coolest, like, rock. Again, it's like one of those things where it wasn't, like, rock and roll. And I felt like I could almost play some of the stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just connected with me totally. I was like, this is a band that, like, I could go watch and see and relate to. As opposed to, like, you know, these huge rock stars, which I still kind of thought they were. But they were also wearing kind of normal clothes and like kind of like what's up slubby normal dudes yeah, kinda, and yeah. laura it was super cool to hear that type of music where it wasn't heavy and it wasn't blues it was that 93 94 style that was like coming around it's a very distinct sound yeah. from that era and i really feel like this album is pretty representative i had had on the mount because i had first heard package thief and thought oh this is so weird like his vocals are so buried this is wild i gotta get this so i got that and then when this album came out Andrew got it again, our friend Andrew. Yeah. So like, I was thinking about it, you know, getting ready for this show with you. And I'm like, I don't know that I ever owned this album until I, you know, ripped it or whatever from Napster uh -huh. several years later. I think I just heard it over and over again at Andrews. Yeah. Same type of thing with the Jawbox album we were talking about. It's like, yeah. never left. <laughs> no, it's never left. This one for me has a certain more relatable sound to it though mm -hmm. because it felt more i don't know how to explain it other than saying like there's a more of an emotional attachment okay and some of the actual music was clear in the sense that i could tell they were playing major chords and stuff like that mm -hmm. and especially with like a fool in your face it's hard to not be able to distinguish the notes and how to play some of that stuff for you <laughs> well, i felt a connection yeah with that sort of thinking but then i was like yeah the vocals are kind of buried and it's got like this cool alternative rock but it's not punk rock it's not played on the radio as much that was always a thing i can't lie about that yeah then that was important not now but it was that to us which makes sense yeah it kind of was but it just felt so new to do that sort of yeah. stuff instead of like ACDC and Ozzy and stuff that felt so far away. This felt much more...
you could have like a scene of people and you could create it too. Especially with the band wise. Mm -hmm. It had that, and now I can say it, but then I didn't know, but like it's definitely got that Midwest alternative indie feel. Whereas like we were talking about Jawbox, it had a sharper like, I don't know, like the Fugazi feel. I don't know if I can recreate this as much, like a dopey white guy in the suburbs doing some Jawbox <laughs> type stuff. I was like, this is it. I can do this stuff. Yeah, this is like warm and accessible, but unique and like distinct. Totally. I actually did step away from them for a few years. Mostly it turned out, you know, when I was like really stuck in the screamo and all that kind of stuff, yeah. it was when they went on like a seven year hiatus. Right. And also like, here's where the strings came in. I kind of tuned out around there. So I didn't get back into them for a while. And then they put out Come Pick Me Up which I fucking love. And I just kind of happened to come across that when- Gotta check it out there. Cause I'm like, again, the two album guy where we were talking about yeah. it's like, it's this one and it's where the strings <laughs> come in. And after that, I don't know too much. <laughs> so that's how I was about them until Come Pick Me Up came out. Because now I think that they've been putting out a lot of my favorite stuff from them ever. Yeah. Like Majesty Stratting, like they'd really just been killing it for a long time. And then I went backwards and started revisiting uh, like earlier stuff. But this album, like you say, like this was the touchstone for yeah. them. If I was going to put them on, yeah. this was the album I would refer to from like the 2000s on. Yeah, yeah. This is like the definition of that indie rock with like a little bit of the punk rock influence going on. Mm -hmm. And everything now that Spotify is just a wash and that's you have to listen to that basically. Because <laughs> you don't have to, but like it's so easy. So I put it on and I just type in Superchunk. And I do get the other stuff, not just Foolish, Yeah, Majesty Shredding. Mm -hmm. or, and then there was Learn to Surf. That's a song on Majesty Shredding, which is awesome. Okay, well, that song is awesome. Yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah, so I was just listening to that and anything they do, I like. That yeah. for some reason that specific album and uh, i guess where the strings come in really just spoke to me i was like this is it well they're like i think the quintessential indie band in a lot of ways i mean they like were on matador for a couple albums and they left matador when they even talked to atlantic about a distribution deal and went back to merge which is their own label yeah mac and laura created that and that's when they released this album. And I'm not one of those guys, I don't think any of us are now at this age where I'm like, oh, like indie really matters. Like I'll listen to a studio band, I'll listen to an indie band, I don't give a fuck. But at the same time, you gotta respect it. Yeah, back in that 93, 94 mode, I was really trying to make sure that my dad's music wasn't my <laughs> music also. Even though I love Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, I was like, nope, this is the stuff that's fucking cool and I'm gonna listen to that. <laughs> And of course, we all came back around on our dad's yeah, music anyway. I mean, I've definitely softened up big time, but like it was always like, you know, this is the set of stuff and anything on Merge is going to be cool and anything on Touch and Go is going to be cool and anything on... Pretty true. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is true, <laughs> but there's like the certain, you know, and especially when I got into punk rock, anything on Fat's going to be cool and anything on Epitaph's going to be cool. And 
that was one of the nice things about getting into new music at that age before we could easily just access whatever anywhere, because I would just spend hours like looking through catalogs of like SST or touch and go or something like that. And I'd read the descriptions of the bands and I'd be like, well, that one sounds cool. And I've got a little extra money. Yeah. So I just, you know, throw a dart at the board and see what stuck every now and then, which was fun. Which is amazing. Yeah. Because like wherever the dart stuck, you're going to get some good music. If it's 93, 94, like I can't, I'm still not Especially. over it. It's like unbelievable <laughs> music was going. I was like, what the I clearly am not over it either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I really had a hard time picking a best song and a least good song from this album. I really, really struggled to do that. How'd you come up with that? Everything was fairly easy, except for the most underrated, I think. Okay. Well, what'd you come up with as your best song? The best song? And it's not like how I said it was not savory. And it's the first part. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. That's such a good song. It's got everything in it. It's like exciting, it's hooky. It's got that outro, which I love how they do it. It's got the, everybody uses octaves. I talk about music, like the like how that ends. But then it's also, it's a little more edgy than some of the Super Chunk stuff. Like it's a little mm. more driving, I feel. Yeah. And uh, I like the fact that it starts out with that drum, which is kind of, it's simple drums, but it's like so effective. The song flows perfectly. I think it's like one of the, if not the perfect intro to listening to a Super Chunk song. Hmm. Speaking of drums, it's a real shame. John Worcester played drums on this album and he played drums for them for know, over a decade, maybe 20 years or something. But he announced his departure from them this year, which I think that's a bummer because I think he really fit in really well with them. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm glad I got to see him play with them, but he's still playing with the Mountain Goats and he plays with Bob Mould too. For my best song, I didn't go with an obvious one either. I mean, I certainly love all of the obvious songs like Driveway to Driveway and Like a yeah. Fool. But for me, I think it's Stretched Out that really does it for me. The second to last song. Oh. Letters all in code. Letters all in code. Yeah, yeah. It's really floaty almost. It's kind of a lighter Super Chunk song. It is, yeah. It has like a real fucking like chill vibe to it. It almost feels like it should have been the last song. It's just a, a really kind of like... Oh, this is pleasant. <laughs> Not lyrically, but... No, I love that song, too. When it comes in, it's just like, yeah, floaty. I can't think of another word for it. Yeah, it bounces a little bit. It just yeah. feels good. It's just a feel-good kind of song. But like, it feels good for us. So this is one of the things I struggled with in getting ready for this, because I've listened to this album for so long and I've never really thought deeply about the content, like the lyrical content and what's going on. 
Neither have I. And did you dig a little deeper? With lyrics, unless it's the stream of consciousness thing where it's like, oh, super cool, and I would think doesn't catch through. So I'm not sure what it's about. No, I don't think that's just you, especially with this album. I mean, like, again, Max sings, they kind of bury his vocals. Which for some reason I love. I don't know why. I do too. I think it's because I have to turn it up and then it makes the whole deal louder. Yeah, that's a trick. That's what I did think, especially with other bands. You know, Mac and Laura Balance were a couple when they started this band and formed Merge together, and they broke up right before this album, but they stayed together in the band. And this is a hardcore breakup album. If you listen to the lyrics, like, it's actually really hardcore, like, it's over. I get those overtones, and I know some lyrics on the first part, mm -hmm. and it felt relationship-based. I don't know, it just, that felt like it was all about relationship. Turns out the whole album is... Laura Balance, it's been, what, 20 years now, 30 years now of her being in this band, having to play songs that are about her and like singing backup vocals on songs that are about her. They would Mac. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> literally she broke up with Mac and then he wrote this album. A lot of it is like, it's not terribly harsh except for maybe Revelations, but it's still like, you know, it's one yeah. person's perspective in a breakup. You know, I'm sorry to ruin it for you or anybody listening, but it kind of darkened the experience a little bit. You know, it's like, Okay. It's such a good feeling album to me, but to realize like the context of it, I was like, oh shit. You are better at this camp than I, <laughs> but I want to stress that like, just because I think that they're kind of like maybe some of that happy-ish, poppy indie doesn't mean it doesn't have like depth and weight, mm -hmm. like to their lyrics, sure. their style, and especially like how their music flows. That's really hard to do. Like, mm -hmm. so like, I just want to make sure that it's not like, oh, this is easy. No, it's like... To make the music that they make is an accomplishment because it seems really accessible, but it has, like I said, depth and weight to the lyrics and yeah. to the music too. Some of the stuff isn't where you think it's going. I think they're really complex and it's so effortless and like natural yeah. that it comes across almost simplistic. Yeah. And that's what kind of gives it that light feel. But if, once totally. you kind of start trying to like break down the time signatures and stuff, you're like, oh shit, that's actually not yeah. quite what you expect. So keeping track, I love the fact that when they record it, you can hear the chinks in the armor and some of the cracks. Like he's mm -hmm. reaching when he's saying keeping track. He hits yeah, it. Yeah, I love it. There, but I love the fact that it's not quantized or it's not voice corrected. Yeah. The other thing is that I think they're great songwriters because once on, uh, uh, not, is it saving the date or is that the name? Uh, why do you always got to put a date on things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How they do that so one. Why have to put a date on everything? There's an, yeah, there's an extra, why do you always got to put a date on everything? Everything. They, there's yeah. an extra couple of beats that they throw in to make sure that the lyrics are the most important thing and not just, we're going to do this blocky 4-4 stuff. However they do it, I can tell that when they're songwriting, even if they're not a unit when they're doing it, it comes together and it feels like an entire unified song. That's a really good point. It's not showy. It's like what works for the song. Yeah, which is a cool yeah. punk rock ethic, but like the way they do it really seems tight and like, again, like just like cohesive unit, even yeah. if they didn't mean to do it. That's how it sounds to me. Either way, like at the end of the day. So you said you kind of struggled to come up with the most underrated song in this album. What do you think? What's the most underrated song on the album? The most underrated? It's Saving the Ticket. 
I think it's called Saving My Ticket. Yeah. Saving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock back and forth on his heels because he deals and what that song is another one that's totally awesome. I love the feel of it. It's energetic. And then right there when that goes to just the bass, you can tell that she's doing the picking bass again, which I love. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's great. And then I love when the guitar does come in. I don't know if it's a harmonic or if it's just the open chords or whatever, but it's like, Wee! and then it starts again. But I love it. I love that song, too. That's why it was underrated, because maybe no one gives a shit, whatever. But like, I was like, you know what? This song should have been number three and not Waterwings, because this song is the number three song, in my opinion. Not the <laughs> I've said. That's funny. Yeah, so that's definitely, I think. But it was close, because saving... Or, uh, why do you gotta put a date on everything? Yeah. I was debating between those two. But I came up with Saving Ticket because I thought it was better. I was debating between why do you have to put a date on everything and actually the first part is what I think is the most underrated song on the album because Water Wings is so catchy and I feel like it was a single, but if it wasn't, it may as well have been because like yeah. it's one of the ones that people talk about. And obviously, Driveway to Driveway and Like a Fool, there's like a bunch of bangers in a row. But in the middle of all that is the first part, and you could almost pass it over if you're not paying close enough attention because, like, you're kind of caught up in the like the driving force of the start of the album because it's just like go 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 go. Oh, it is, yeah, yeah. But you isolate it on its own; it just rips. It just really rips in a way that, like, a lot, like you say, like a lot of their stuff. It's not aggressive. It's like super chunk aggressive, right? It's like a different yeah. kind of aggression. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got energy. Whenever, especially when yeah. I see them and then they were on Letterman or when I saw them live and stuff, Max like jumping around. They have the feel and they have the energy, like on the stage presence, I guess, for that type of music specifically too. They're it. Like that's why I was always like I idolize these guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny because I know you and I once had a conversation where like I told you every time I listened to Super Chunk, I thought of you, and you told me every time that you listened to them, you thought of me. Yeah. <laughs> and of course I also think of Andrew too. Yeah. In part because I think we all had that same kind of idea about them that they're like this ideal indie rock band in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, it was. That's it. You nailed it right there. So what about the weakest song? Revelations. Yeah. There was really not that much thought to that one. I stink. I I stink. Wow. I think it's... <laughs> I hope not. I took a shower. No. Um, what was it? <laughs> Revelations is cool, but it doesn't have the feel. Yeah. It's a little bit minor sound. Mm-hmm darker in the way that it's not super chunk darker and lyrically i think it's the darkest too so like kind of add those things up and it's kind of a rough listen it takes a while to get into and then when you do get into it you're like eh, this is pretty good but not boop, i'm gonna listen to like a fool <laughs> yeah it's good because it's super chunk and it's on this album right so that's one of the things i was dealing with when i was trying to decide what's the weakest song on this album because this album has i think some of the best material that super chunk ever put out on it it's got a bunch of my favorite songs of theirs on it Agreed. i feel like almost every song on here is stand out except for revelations without blinking kind of just don't stand out the way that all the other ones do like all the other ones that like if they played them in a show i'd fucking lose my shit yeah but like those two songs is kind of like uh okay like it's super chunk i like yeah. the songs they're good they're not like <laughs> The ones that grab you, like literally every other song on the album. The middle chunk of the album, I had to look at the names again because, like, <laughs> I know, same. So, yeah. like, and I was like, wow, they're all like 100% super chunk bangers or whatever. Like, I'm like, yes, yeah, yep, yep, and that one works. And then the Revelations comes, and I was like, ah. <laughs> 
am I being a dick about this? And I was like, no, it's an all right song. It's just not the same caliber as the rest of the album. That's what it is. By no means would I ever say it's like not a good song. Yeah. It's just when you compare it to like the zenith that literally like every <laughs> other song is, it doesn't quite hold up compared to the others. Yeah, it almost starts out like monolithic indie because when Like a Fool starts, it's like dun, 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 dun. it's like it's going to be like this incredible album. And then it is. And then it is. And then it just kind of fades a little bit. And then there's the last two songs, which were the one that you liked a lot. And uh, starts out in Stage Whisper. Stage Whisper, yeah. Or in a Stage Whisper. Yeah, which I think is a good ending for the album because it's really, what do they call that, shoegazy? Or it's like really... Yeah, yeah, a little bit. The same... It's very repetitive in the best way. And it just goes on like that. I'm like, this is the perfect way to end a Super Chunk album. It is. It's fitting. I no, it. you're right. I think it's fitting. It fits the tone. The song would not have fit anywhere else in the album. So Good point. Yeah. It definitely works there. Do you have any uh, criticisms for the album? Because I've been around it so long. It's like I'm just yeah. so used to it. But I think... Maybe some of the stuff, like his vocal-wise, could have been either panned differently or maybe upped in the mix a little bit. But the only thing I would push back on that a little bit is that this is like the album when he first kind of because before this the vocals were even more really varied, you know so yeah so this is like he's he was aware he's just creeping out of his shell a little bit with his album so I, yeah. I kind of forgive it more but I understand exactly what you're saying there are parts where I'm like come on man just lean into it because yeah. at this point in their career like he's up front you can hear what he's saying just fine it works. Yeah, exactly. This is where the strings come in. Mm -hmm. Right? It was right there. Yeah, yeah. Revelations, I guess you consider that maybe they could have put another song on the album. That's a pretty major criticism. Though. But you know what I would say? There's no criticism whatever for the music by now because I Same. I know what's going on. Like maybe the vocals could have been bumped up a little bit and maybe some of the guitar parts because I'm always thinking so guitar heavy. Yeah. Like maybe some of that stuff could have been reworked a little bit, but I love the way it feels. Some of it is a little bit rough, I will say that, but I really do think it adds to it. You could make a case that maybe yeah. they should have re-recorded a couple of guitar parts, whatever. But the album cover itself never struck me as that cool. <laughs> That's the one, right. and I'm thinking, album covers should look cool, right? But I'm thinking, I don't know if I think this one's that cool. I'm gonna have, and it's like modeled after something else, I think, too. Yeah. And I'm gonna have to go with you. It's never been my favorite. It doesn't really, I don't think it matches the tone of the album very well either, now that you mention it. But I guess that'd be like a, the most criticism I have. Kind of have to reach for it. Yeah, that really doesn't have that much to do with anything with the music. Yeah, it's about the album, though. And now it's just like, I know that album. It's like, what is that, a rabbit and this weird lady? <laughs> Unless there's some really intense thing that he's got or it meant something real serious, uh, then no. that's my criticism. I know that Laura Balance painted that and oh. that she was modeling it after something, but like, yeah, no, I'm not in love with it either. But as far as like you mentioned re-recording some tracks or whatever, like this is obviously an important Super Chunk album to you and I and to a lot of other Super Chunk fans, but clearly it's obviously uh, important to them too because they re-recorded the entire album. You've heard Acoustic Foolish, right? Oh, yes, yes. I didn't even think about that. I have heard Acoustic Foolish, but I haven't heard a lot of it because, and I guess maybe this will be the contradiction, I'd rather listen to the not re-recorded stuff. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You always would rather the worst curmudgeon, and all of the 42-year-old curmudgeon Morgan wants to listen to the old shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like to throw on Acoustic Foolish from time to time because it has enough 
variance to it that it feels you know it's not exactly the same thing but yeah like it's definitely not what i'm gonna put on most of the time but it's interesting because bands don't do that that often you know you said you saw him live did you see him another time besides when you saw him as a kid or was that it i saw him in 94 pretty awesome on this tour yeah yeah at the state theater and the thing is like going totally honest i don't remember much of what they played it was a long time ago yeah it was a long time i remember it sounded really awesome and when they did stop and restart one of them, I don't remember what song it was. I remember that it still sounded awesome. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know, like, what the deal was. Maybe it was electronic-wise, you know, or with, with lighting or with the... Something technical, not related to them. Yeah. But yeah, that's the only time I've ever seen them live. That's a good time to have seen them. Yeah, I thought so, too. I think because that was right when the first part was being played on MTV, I'm pretty sure. And so you got to see them in not their original form, because they've had a lot of permutations, but you yeah. got to see them in the version that they were when this came out with everybody playing their parts. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was super cool. Then Driveway Driveway is a really cool video, I thought, too, where he's stumbling around drunk. I don't remember the videos that well. I mean, I just, I don't know. For some reason, I didn't really watch them that much. This is much farther after, though. This is like, oh, yeah, there was a video for this? Or did they, like, make it? No. <laughs> like looking up on YouTube, not on MTV kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of. I was like, oh, this is kind of a funny video. It's like a black and white. He stumbles around drunk. And I was like, well, this makes sense. Driveway to driveway. <laughs> drunk. Around drunk, it says in the lyrics, you know. It's a very literal video then. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I could definitely relate to this. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I saw them in 2018. I'm really happy I got to see them and I couldn't pick a better time in my life to have seen them because in 2018, you know, that's right in the thick of the Trump administration. And during the George W. Bush administration, I remember feeling like uh, the Daily Show and Jon Stewart were like this oasis of sanity, you know? Yeah. And I didn't really feel like I had that so much during the Trump years. I just felt like it was all fucking chaos and nonsense. And I just didn't really feel like there was like any artistic critiques that I know that there was stuff being put out like the drive-by truckers put out a pretty good album. So there was some stuff coming out, but just, I didn't connect with any of it. Yeah. And then super chunk released what a time to be alive. And I'm like, this is it. Like I fucking wept when I first listened to it. I fucking yeah. wept when I saw them play the album live. Cause they played almost the whole thing live. I was just so hungry for something to articulate how I felt and how frustrated I was not just with like Trump, but with my entire society that was supporting him or seemingly, you know, yeah, entire society. Yeah. I got into that album. It's my favorite Super Chunk album. I got more into that album than any other Super Chunk album in my life. And then one night, like in the middle of getting really into the album, I was like, I haven't gone to a show in a while. I wonder who's playing. And fucking Super Chunk was playing that night. What? And so I was like, holy what? shit, I'm going. And I went and they played that album almost in its entirety. And they played a bunch of stuff. From like back in the day, they played a bunch of stuff off this album. And I don't remember which song, but they fucked up a song and I had to stop it and start <laughs> over. <laughs> but it was amazing, man. That it was amazing. The sense of indie humanness that I will always be able to latch on and be like, yes, because I'm usually so insecure about many things, especially <laughs> music. But like, if they messed up, then everything's fine. I can still play my guitar and still try to listen to music. And it was just awesome to hear that. And also I can relate to what you're saying. Like there's this sense of, I think what Emil Durkheim talks about anime, like how uh -huh. social bonds just disintegrate. And then it just like, everything just turns into like this big, like, blah, like where in. So then when you find someone that you can like connect to and relate to, it's like, I'm always going to go, you know, I'm always going to listen. Yeah. It feels positive. It feels better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And super chunk has definitely always been a band that makes me feel positive and better, but that album, especially. So this album is like the one I grew up with. 
And then that's the one that like I'm most connected to. Although come pick me up again, like check it out. Uh, it's really, really fucking good. Yeah. And shame on this super. Yeah. <laughs> I need to check out more for sure. And it's, <laughs> it's always, I love this album. They have a new album. I've barely listened to it. Like it's just, you know, sometimes it grabs you. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, you can't listen to everything. You know, that's it. And they pump out a lot of albums despite that one hiatus. They've been around since what, 89 or something like that, 91, something. The bad religion of Midwest indie rock. <laughs> exactly. 600 albums. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what track do you want to use to go out on? Oh, Driveway to Driveway. That makes sense. Even though I didn't talk about Like a Fool so much, I love that song, but it's too much of a long, like Driveway to Driveway just seems like the perfect outro song. Okay. That's not, no, it makes sense. Although Like a Fool, actually, I can't remember which one. So one of the memories I have most strongly connected to this album is actually connected to you. So I hear the first notes of this album and I'm immediately in Andrew's like upstairs Dude. loft area. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And or I'm in our friend Steve Giles' basement where we used to practice our band, one of our many bands, and you would constantly play that opening lick. Like I think it was like a fool. Maybe it was the opening to Driveway to Driveway. I don't remember no, which no, one no, you played. Well, I know, well, I know both of them because because you'd always play one of those two. That's like a fool. That's, that's what you do. Okay. Yes, that's like a fool. That's what you'd always play. You'd always you'd always start okay, playing yeah, that. Yeah. Just like noodling around while we're like waiting between songs and stuff. You just start fucking riffing on that. Yeah, because it's like that specific riff is like the riff that you want to play for a hook. If I was to say like, what are the top ten pop hooks in? in that's like number one. Like the number <laughs> one. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just awesome. guitar. It's it's completely recognizable within a second. It's almost like childlike in a way, like it's a nursery rhyme for like Indie Rock 101. Like, here's what you do to make a radical yes. song. <laughs> yes, it is. It's almost <laughs> like a lullaby. It's almost like a kid song. It yeah. just has like that kind of like it could work as a fucking music box. Yeah, exactly. But then again, like once that song starts, it's got like mm -hmm. the layers kick in. Yeah. yeah. And the depth and the way to it where it's kind of melancholy in a way. And it's kind of like majestic almost. Dude, yes, yes, nailed it. So I'm super into it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. I was always trying to figure out what his gear was too. I think they're just playing a Les Paul Jr. Just with one single coil pickup or whatever, because I love his tone also. Even though I think yeah. some stuff could be re-recorded, that just that edge of grit they have on their guitars without being like overly distorted is again like there's two guitars and how they pan it mm -hmm. it's like just how they do it is awesome no disrespect on any other bands like that are in that same genre but how they mix and how they use the guitar might be just simple it might just be like yeah we just plug it and play either way that's it that's like what yeah. i want to recreate if i was going to be in that type of band anytime mm -hmm. in the future and also because you can play that stuff until you die i don't know if i can play heavy metal until i'm like I think it's over for me for that. <laughs> That's a good point. Like you can kind of just have fun jams. Whereas like, cause I was always the singer in our bands and the idea of throwing my weight around a fucking stage and screaming at this age, I'd have a heart attack. I'd be a dead person. I don't want to do it anymore. That window, it's like, so I, that's always a go-to tone where it's like, this is how you want to sound to be a cool indie rock band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just because you might, I don't know any other way to put it, might seem like he has kind of like a 
maybe a wimpyish type of voice or whatever. It's not. When he projects and how it's like, um, you gotta be good to do that type of stuff. You can't just. For sure. I think he's a great vocalist. I do too. And a great songwriter. And, and I think he's a really underrated guitar player. He has my heart. He's my MVP. <laughs> you know, one last thing I wanted to mention too, to kind of go back to the point when I saw him live, Laura Balance can't perform live anymore. She's got a condition oh. with her ear that like, if she hears noises that are too loud, it like sets off like all kinds of shit for her. I forget what the name of it is, but oh. it's like, uh, she basically can't be around loud noises without it being like painful for her anymore. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, it is awful. It's been that way for a while, but she still is in the band. She still records and writes all of her stuff. But shout out to Jason Narducci, who is the uh, bass player for Bob Mold, because he actually plays live for them all the time. Like, so she like writes the shit, and he just is like, yeah, that's you know. He does it, and he just goes out there and plays her shit live, which is that's really rad. like that's really cool. So I think he deserves a shout out. No, absolutely. That's like uh, then he gets like a quarter of Max MVP. <laughs> yeah right some ego swallowing shit i think yeah. that not everyone do but also i assume you know she's laura from merge she's laura from super chunk i'm sure that they're friends and stuff you know but right. still, it's very very cool not everyone would do that no absolutely that's super cool that they have that type of relationship going on they can make that work like that it's awesome for sure all right are you listening to anything else cool lately that you would like to share with us i mean it's always and so i watch you from afar and russian circles and then there's some indie stuff that comes out but it's like literally the same stuff for like the past 30 years, like Jawbox, Hum, you know, like <laughs> Super Chunk. Super Chunk. <laughs> yeah. I still try to listen to new stuff all the time, but, you know, like I tried to get into the idols a little bit and then I was like, yeah. uh, they're good, but then I kind of fell out. I don't listen to much new stuff either. And I think the band's called Covet. Okay. And she's awesome. She's got that kind of the tapping, the melodic tapping type of stuff going on. She's been around for a while, but I'm really into Yvette Young, I think is her name. Okay. I listen to that a lot. Um, and then there's just the standard stuff, you know, that, that I'm always going to be listening to. Almond Brothers. I was thinking about the other day. I'm like, if a full week goes by where I haven't listened to Warren Zevon's self-titled album, that's a weird week. <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't listened to him too much until we started talking about that stuff. And I was like, I got to listen to more Warren Zevon. <laughs> You know, stuff like that. Yeah. And Beaver Shark and Bars of Gold always seem to make me feel connected to where we came from. So I listen to that a lot. Fuck yeah. Why are they not more popular? Because they are like the new underground indie rock thing. I'm amazed that they didn't get more popular. This is the shit, man. It really is. That Beaver Shark could do so well, and rightly so. And yeah. Bars of Gold, for some reason, just doesn't seem to get the same level of attention is baffling to me because they're essentially the same band almost. Yeah, right. And then... Primus, old Primus. Old Primus, season cheese, baby. Frizzle fry and season cheese, right? Yeah, I was like, wow, man. And so, no, no new stuff. It's all old shit. And it partly do because of when you said 93 and 94, it kind of got me into that old stuff. And I'm like, this is it. This is where I need to live. And this is my whole game plan. Just yeah. bring everyone with me to the same two years of our life to fixate on and, you know. I like it. I like it. Arrest our development. The side years. You know, I go from 90 to 95, but that group of years or whatever. So oh, yeah. We'll have more to say about that here in a little bit. Okay. But before we get into that, it's time for the uh, 90s question, oh. which I'm going to do something a little different with you. Oh. Ordinarily, I'm asking questions that like everyone can relate to from the era, right? They watch TV or they listen to things, but I have a very 
Heartland, Michigan centric set of <laughs> questions for you. Okay. So I need you to help me contextualize these places for listeners that do not know what we're talking about. Okay. So I'm going to list five different restaurants that you can go back in time to in the Heartland, Michigan area in 1993 and 94. And you tell me which one you'd like most to go to. But first, I want you to give me a little description of each one to like help the listeners know what we're dealing with. So for instance, yes, it was once Granny's Place, but by 93, it was Ditto's. What is Ditto's? Granny's Place was the old timey ice cream shop that was right in the heart of Heartland, the village of Heartland, which is what had yeah. 75 people and half of them were over the age of 60. And there's a couple <laughs> of kids that went to the school, Springer Field, the baseball. So oh, we'd yeah. go play baseball and then everybody would lose. And then they'd say, we lost, but let's get ice cream anyway. Yay. And then we'd go to Granny's Place. But it wasn't Granny's Place then, it was Ditto's. And then it turned into Ditto's, right? And Ditto's yes. was like the little diner restaurant thing. Do you remember the theme of Ditto's? No, I don't. All I remember oh, there. Oh, dude, you forgot. So the theme of Ditto's was Rush Limbaugh. What? I fucking shit you not. I, that was the theme of Ditto's. Oh, Ditto's? Like Ditto heads, because Ditto heads were people that followed Rush Limbaugh. So it was like a hard right establishment. You just blew my mind. <laughs> It never, that, because I remember going there when I was at that landscaping job. We go to Ditto, yeah. get like a sub, and it, it was oh, all yeah, right. We all went there. It was <laughs> subpar, but it was fine. But yeah, that's why his fucking face was everywhere. <laughs> I never even paid attention to that. I was always like, where's Paperboy? Because I used to like play an arcade game. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So place number two that is an option. I'm not picking Ditto's, just so we know. <laughs> I could not push you that. Heartland Big Boy. Yeah. Big boy, you know, Frisch's, Shoney's. I don't know if there's too much to explain to people, but this was Elias the Big Boy. Elias Brothers, exactly. It was our big boy. It was. Right? It was. Yeah. We would go there and we would smoke cigarettes and other pets and drink coffee <laughs> and, and then just kind of try to annoy the place, but not get kicked out at the same time. <laughs> And then, it's a fine line to like, walk. Yeah, the fine line Irritate to walk. the staff, but not get kicked out. Yeah, just sit there and like chew gum and like order a water or a coffee and then maybe a piece of pie. And then eat a sugar packet. So that was Heartland Big Boy. If you wanted to go out of town briefly, you could go to the alternate version of that, which was, of course, Lil Chef. Lil's? Oh, I thought you were going to say Ramshorn. Didn't go quite that far out. Lil, Lil, Lil Chef. Lil Chef. That's cool. the invitation Big Boy. Yes, I've been there a couple times. I know that one. I have a couple of distinct memories of being absolutely terrified. <laughs> drug called mescaline. Oh, yeah. It's my second mescaline <laughs> reference on this show. Heartland Pizza. Chofu's Heartland Pizza. Go back in time and go there where everybody we ever knew worked. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely recall that. I was never in there that much. I was always more or less in Liberty's van waiting for someone to come out or yeah, have to go same. in. Yeah. But I definitely know where it was. Just bring out a sack of breadsticks yeah. and a cup of ranch, right? I don't need to go in there. <laughs> go in, get the breadsticks, and then we'll go to the uh, harump for the wherever we're going. The... <laughs> <laughs> All right, last option. So maybe you don't want to go to any of these places because the last option is Oasis. The last option is Oasis. And Oasis. That's where I'm going. Tell the people what Oasis is. Oasis is the giant truck stop diner that was like the one major thing before Heartland kind of, I guess, blew up, where I was at the corner of Old US 23 and M59. Yeah. It was like, what, a old Amoco? And then it was like this old 
pretty gross truck stop where we had those yeah. jokes where it was like, if you order a burger and say extra mayo, then that means you're going to have a hooker with you in a big rig. <laughs> yeah, I always heard that if you ordered a pepperoni sandwich, then they'd take you upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would probably go to the Oasis, though, if I had to choose. That would be my choice, I think. The cigarette smoke-laden place with just the shittiest food out of all of these options I've given you. I'd probably go there, too. It's just garbage. You know, I mean, if I'm putting a little more thought into it, it might be Big Boy, but it's probably the Oasis. Just because it's so unique to Heartland, yeah. you know, yeah, I think that's what I would pick too. When I was growing up, I'd always fall asleep in the backseat of my car and like, you know, just kind of come to when we get off the overpass because like the change. In the Falcon? The aluminum Falcon? No, I mean like even younger than that when oh. I was like a little kid, like, you know, asleep in my parents' car in the backseat. Yeah. They'd pull off the freeway and that would wake me up and I'd see that Amico sign and I was always like the, I'd know I was home, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I know because it's really built up now, big, but yeah, that was pretty much it. So that's a definitive Heartland staple is that <laughs> Oasis truck stop. Fuck yeah. Well, thanks for coming back on a second time, Morgan. I really appreciate you doing this. I wasn't doing too much. It's just drinking my cup of coffee and right. playing this guitar. So thank you, man. This is, I love it. <laughs> Great. It means a lot to me. So I do have something sort of to give you. I don't know how interested you would be, but if you want to come back, and I certainly hope you come back for your third visit, if you want to, I do want to, just so it's clear. All right, so what I just sent you is a list of albums that came out not in 93 or 94. These are albums that came out in like 91, 92, albums that were recorded in 93 or 94 and released later. This is a special list. You can choose any of these albums to be the first person to do, to color outside the lines of 93, 94. That's awesome. I know exactly where you're headed with this one. I already know which one I want to do. There's a lot of good shit on here. Take a look at the list and let me know if you want to do one of these albums for your next visit. I definitely will. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. Okay, thank you. Yeah. For instance, Rage Against the Machine's self-titled album came out in November of 1992. Now, our asses were listening to that all through 93, 94, right? Yeah. Or like Nirvana's Incesticide came out when there was two weeks left of the year 1992. That's a 93 album, right? I mean, that's, yeah. I think it makes sense to kind of start adding in some stuff that was of the era without being exactly of the era. And then also some of them are just albums that I grew up with that mean a lot to me. And I'm like, fuck it. If someone wants to talk about Changes Bowie with me, I'll talk Changes Bowie all day long. Totally. I totally, yeah, absolutely. This is awesome. Yeah, man, thanks. Yeah, thank you. say the words Chapel Hill once that whole time, but for the record, I don't mean to speak for Morgan here, but I'm pretty confident that I can on this particular matter. He and I both know that Super Chunk are from Chapel Hill and that Chapel Hill is not in the Midwest. I took him to mean it more as like a feel, like a vibe, you know, like a, like a, like just a, 
hardworking, plain speaking kind of indie rock, I guess. You know, and I also said on this episode that the new album from Super Chunk Wild Loneliness, as of this recording, new album just didn't really grab me. It's grabbed me since. <laughs> uh, big time. Definitely check that album out. I just needed to listen to it instead of just hearing it, you know? It's great. It's really, really good. One last thing in reference to the episode, Morgan, towards the end there, referenced my first car, the Aluminum Falcon, which is a clever name that I cannot claim that I gave to it. Shout out to friend of the show, Dave Horning, who sold me my, who sold my mother my first car, I should say, which he had dubbed the Aluminum Falcon. Thank you so much, Morgan, for coming back on the show. It means a lot to me, and it means a lot to me, everybody listening. I got a little wonky with my scheduling this week. If you're listening in real time, I'm typically very punctual with hitting my Tuesday deadlines, but life got pretty busy this week and is going to continue to be busy. So this episode's getting out a little late. The next episode might get out a little late too. Uh, So bear with me. But after that, I have no reason to think that things shouldn't go back to normal. And I've got a lot of people coming up on the show. Got plenty of conversations recorded that I've yet to mix, but I'm looking forward to doing that. You could come on the show too. If you want to talk about an album from 1993 or 1994, you like Super Chunk. Perhaps you want to talk about Super Chunk. In 1993, Superchunk put out the album On the Mouth, and you're listening now to Package Deep, which I referenced earlier as being the first song I ever heard from this awesome band. As Morgan said, I'm often like him, where a lot of bands, I jump in for a couple albums and then I'm out and I don't need to listen to their entire discography. But some bands you can stick with indefinitely, and Superchunk is very much one of them. They just seem to keep getting better. So thank you, uh, Super Chunk. <laughs> thank you, Morgan. Thank you, you who are listening. And um, yeah, okay, we'll we'll stop it right about there. Podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.